Romans 8, 18 through 25. Romans 8, 18 through 25. We finished Hezekiah. It was painful, but we got there. And uh, we're going to be looking at this text today. And here is the Word of God. I consider that our present sufferings are not worthy to be compared with the glory that will be revealed in us. The creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up unto this present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is not hope at all. Who hopes for what he already has? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. Someone once said that uh, life is a bed of roses. I kind of like that, but they added these important words. Life is a bed of roses, thorns, and all. And that is exactly right. God, the the life that God gives us is a wonderful thing, but there, there are thorns in this life. Have you ever really thought how broken the world is? I know when I was a younger man, I, I totally got that cognitively, theologically. Yes, we live in a fallen world. Yes, it's broken, but it is it has become more clear through the years just how fallen the world is just how we all struggle and there frankly are broken hearts everywhere there are broken homes broken bones broken peace treaties everywhere there are broken dreams and broken lives and everyone here experiences the difficulty and the struggle and the groaning of living in a fallen world and the struggle that we have even within our hearts. And this this passage teaches us something that is just remarkable for those of us who struggle. And here it is. That as wonderful as it is to know the one true and living God through Christ, to have full and complete forgiveness to be His very daughter and son, to have the Spirit and and live in the supernatural now of knowing Jesus. As wonderful as that is, that is not even the best thing for our lives. That, That our best life is not even now. So much more that we are going to have in the future this great hope that we live for and live by. And and I want you to write this sentence down or you can memorize it. Here it is. It's very simple that Paul is teaching us that groaning leads to glory for a believer. Groaning leads to glory. 
I want us to talk about this notion of groaning. Uh, you all know what groaning is. Groaning is kind of a, a universal thing. Um, people get what groaning is. Uh, I read a definition, and I really liked it, that groaning is simply an expression of a burden. You know, that something's heavy, and, and because it's heavy on us, we, we groan. That groaning is kind of like a sigh, right? But a lot deeper and a lot heavier to, to inwardly groan. And this passage teaches us that groaning is a part of life. In fact, everywhere we look, there is groaning, that the creation itself is groaning. I want you to go to verse 19 just to see how, how pervasive the effects of the fall, how much we need Christ, and how wonderful is the present and even more the future that he has for us. Verse 19, the creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed, for that time when we will be presented before the Father in the new heavens and the new earth. The creation is eagerly expecting this. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will one day be liberated from its, listen to these words, bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. We know, verse 22, that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth up until this very time, meaning that, that there's something better, that, that the groaning is in the, and kind of the pain and the, the burden of the creation is like childbirth pains and there will be a birth there will be something new when adam and eve rebelled against god the earth was cursed not only were were we cursed not only were we put out of the garden because of sin against a holy god but the earth itself was cursed if you'll turn to genesis 3:17 through 19, and here's the reason is that man, we are different from all of God's other creation because separate from the animals and anything else, we're made in the very image of God and there is beauty and there is wonder and uniqueness and not only were we made in God's image, but we were given dominion, rulership over all the creation and so when man was cursed, the creation under his dominion was cursed as well. Genesis 3, 17. This is a radical sentence, but it explains so much about what we see. Don't you love Christianity? Because it actually matches up with what you see in the world. Cursed is the ground because of you. We read a moment ago that um, the creation was not subject, is subjected to frustration, not by its own choice. It's because of our sin that cursed is the ground because of you and through painful toil you will eat of the fruit of the ground all the days of your life. Whereby the creation used to have this ease of producing fruit and, and, and all that was needed for life. Now only through toil the earth is cursed and literally it's going to fight back against us. It's going to be hard to get food from the earth now is what it's saying. Through painful toil, and toil alone, you will eat of it all the days of your life. Verse 18 of Genesis 3, it will produce, however, thorns and thistles for you. And you will eat of the plants of the field. 
Verse 19, by the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you die. Until you return to the ground, since it was, it was from there that you were taken. Dust you are, and to dust you will return. It will not produce the crops without, it's going to fight you, cursed. But it will produce very easily thorns and thistles. Um, You know, life is a a bed of roses, thorns and all. That's kind of literal in Genesis 17, not just the figurative sense of our our trials and, and the groaning. But I want to ask you, have you ever noticed that you can't get the right things to grow without lots of work and you just can't kill the wrong things and stop them from growing without a whole lot of effort. Have you ever noticed that? You know why that is? Because the earth is cursed. Creation is groaning and fighting back. When we moved to Colorado in 1998, one of the things that uh, we deep southerners noticed immediately was there's no trees. Now, when you think of Colorado, you're thinking of the uh, ski areas maybe. That's not what you need to think. I, I lived on the high plains, and every tree there was planted by somebody. And so, you know, we just moved there from Alabama where there's just trees everywhere. So the very first thing we did, we said, we're going to be here a long time. We're going to plant trees this week because we want them to start growing so we can enjoy these trees. And we'll sit under the shade of these trees one day, and we planted all these trees. I want you to know, every one of them but three died. It was an emotionally difficult thing for me. I mean, look, I moved here. From, you could just throw, I could like throw a, a, a small pine tree behind my back and just let it hit in my backyard here in Mississippi, and it would grow. Not out of there. Whatever that black clay thing soil. I mean, and it, everything was dying, and I, I was so upset, and I literally went out one day, I hate to tell you all this, and I laid hands on my dying tree. That the color was starting to turn. I said, oh, Lord, I, I know this is a small thing, and I know there are much greater things to pray for, but, but God, you know how I love trees. Please let this tree live, and it died. <laughs> let me tell you something. The thorns and the weeds, I couldn't kill them. They got strange, prickly, cactusy kind of things out there and uh so we decided we can't grow trees we're gonna grow some flowers we at least have some color and you know we plant our flowers just like you're supposed to right do you know these things came out at night and destroyed every one of our flowers you're wondering what these things that came out at night are they're mule deer huge deer came from everywhere and those were, that was not a flower bed. You know what that was? That was a salad bar is what that was. No doubt about it. Here in the south, I mean, you can't stop the weeds. You just have to keep on going with the weeds. Look, you, I'm telling you, you, you don't want to take a long nap near a kudzu vine. Because it might just wrap around you and strangle you and you never wake up. I mean, that's just how fast those things... And the ground's just fighting against us. And there's groaning. The, the, the whole creation used to be this beautiful fruit-bearing with ease. 
wonderful. It's still gorgeous because it's made by God itself, but it's groaning and it's cursed. But you know, not only is the creation groaning, we learn that that in the midst of all this, we groan. Look at verse 23. Not only only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait for the e- for eagerly for the adoption as sons the redemption of our bodies we groan we are burdened in a fallen world we just struggle and and we suffer and i'll tell you we we suffer living in a creation that's that's hostile to us that has to be subdued um, we struggle from other sinners who hurt us we we struggle from from the wrestling we have with our own selfish hearts and the bitter fruit of all that comes through this, this wrestling and this, this groaning in a fallen world. But, but here's the deal. And we struggle from the pressures of the enemy, the, the devil, who man just sees a weakness and just fan, tries to fan that spark into a flame to, so that we would, we would take that and go with that selfishness and do harm to ourselves. But here's the deal. The book of Romans basically starts with our need for Christ. It starts with the idea of sin and, and what that is. Then the book of Romans talks about, hey, it's not just about you know our sin and a need for Christ. There's a provision of Christ and what the cross means. And, and we who are sinners who are cut off from a holy God, that God himself interposed himself between us and his holy presence. And he literally drained the, the sin and the, the guilt of our sin, the punishment for it, drained it away from us, putting it on Jesus. And then we learn in, in Romans 5 that we are justified, we are declared righteous by faith in Jesus Christ. We have peace with God. God has provided. Now we have come into a relationship where totally forgiven. And then we learn that we get the Spirit of God and, and God by His Spirit conveys His love to our hearts and He teaches us and, and He leads us. And then, Romans 8, which begins with these words, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, that in the midst of this fallen world, in the midst of all the wrestling and straining, the one person we know that will always accept us and love us is the person that matters the most, and that is the person of God. And we have freedom and liberty with God because of the work of the cross. And then, Romans 8, if you'll turn three verses back from our text to Romans 8, 14. It talks about we know Him and we have the Spirit. And the Spirit teaches us to say, You're a tender, loving Father. And I can trust my life to you totally. Because those who are led by the Spirit, Romans 8, 14, the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear. You have peace with God. But you received the spirit of sonship And by Him, by the Spirit, we cry, Abba, Father. It's an amazing construction of words. That God 
not only adopts us into His family, but by His Spirit, He convinces us of the tender and eternal nature of love. It literally means tender father, intimate father, daddy, the, the one who loves me, the one I can count on, the one who will always be there. And, and it says our hearts cry, Abba, Father, that the, the construction there has to do with, with not some theological thing, but just the cry of a child in need, reaching out to a Father who is available and intensely and intimately and sweetly loves His children and that because of the cross. Isn't that wonderful? To know that with God in the midst of a fallen world is incredible. Verse 16 of Romans 8, The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. And then we deal with the future which is where our text goes. And if we are His children, then we are His heirs, meaning we're going to inherit everything. Heirs of God, co-heirs with Christ. Hear these words. If indeed we share in His sufferings, in order that we may also share in His glory. Wow, that was kind of a turn, wasn't it? That we go from the Spirit and Sonship and Abba Father and we're going to have everything and everything that Jesus has. As the Father has loved Him, He loves us and, and there it is and we're going to suffer. And we're going to groan that there's a connection here between Sonship and suffering. Verse 23 exploits this. Not only so, the creation groaning, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we eagerly await the adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. That's not referring to the same adoption that I just read about. That's referring to the, the, the total and full product of what being a son of God is like in the, in the new heavens and the new earth and the, the revealing of the sons of God is what that's talking about. We've been given the Holy Spirit as first fruits. In Israel, you know, they had the barley harvest and the, the great festival to say, hey, here's the first harvest. We want to hold this up before you, God, and say, we want to thank you for feeding us. You are so gracious, but we also want to hold it up because we know there's whole lots of crops and provision that will come after this because you are such a faithful Father that verse 23 says we have the first fruits of the Spirit. Paul says that God has given us the Spirit as a guarantee of what is to come, as a Spirit whereby the Spirit, we're children of God, we kind of taste what is to come, which is amazing. Just a, just a, just a little morsel, if you will, of the whole crop that lies ahead, the first fruits. But for now... We will live in a fallen world of struggle and we groan in the midst of that fallen world. Now, there is a type of Christian that annoys me to no end and I believe brings a destructive message to people who live faithfully in a fallen world. And it has to do with, with those people that basically think we should never sigh or groan. 
or if we are groaning inside, we should never acknowledge it. We need to have that howdy-doody happy on all the time. Because that's how we show people that Jesus is real, because we're howdy-doody happy. I'm going to tell you something. That is not what the Bible says, that there is a connection between sonship and suffering. Look, Jesus doesn't save us up and out of the real world. We also, not just the creation we read in verse 20, we also groan inwardly, is what the text says. Deeply, we wrestle and we struggle and Christ is with us in our struggles. And... We long, therefore, because of the groaning. We long for what is ahead. Which leads me to that second part. Remember, groaning turns into glory for a believer in Christ. It's that glory that is ahead. It's the concept of what we call the now and not yet. That what we have now is amazing. It's so far beyond anything we could have ever dreamed. It is fullness in Christ. But it is not the finality of all that we are going to have. That as much as we love the Lord and in this fallen world walk with Him and celebrate Him. And and by the way, love the creation. Don't get me wrong. That there is something so far superior that God wants to give us. Back to creation. Paul says creation groans and we groan. He kind of answers that. That the creation's going to have glory and we're going to have glory. Back to creation verse 19. The creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. Now, it's interesting, eager expectation. You know what it literally means? It literally means someone standing on tiptoe, straining Straining to see that, that the creation is, is in this groaning and, and, and this curse and the creation like childbirth ready for this new thing to be born. Standing on tiptoes, longing for the full adoption, the, the sons of God to be revealed. Verse 20, for the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. And then Paul says, and you know what? Our groaning also will turn to glory. There is is something, the horizon is different from, from what we have now. Same God, same Savior, same grace, same truth, but radically different and superior. No more struggle with a hostile creation one day. No more struggle with other sinners. That'd be amazing, right? No more struggle with our own selfish hearts. No more struggle with the pressure of the evil one to try to fan the sparks into flames that would cause us to hurt ourselves, the people around us, and and the glory of God. Let me tell you something. Heaven is beautiful. You can read that in the Bible. Heaven is worship and the presence of God. But one thing we need to say about heaven is that heaven will be unfettered freedom. Wow! Unfettered freedom. Like we've never known. I mean, maybe it's because I'm such a bad sinner that I'm kind of focused in on this because when I get to heaven and says, look, somebody says, look, the streets are gold. I'm going to say, I don't care what color. 
I don't have to struggle with myself anymore. This is freedom. This is beautiful. Unfettered. You who are groaning, don't you look forward to that? I do. I remember one of my dear friends years ago was, t- was teaching on heaven, and he's a mentor of mine. His name is Wilson Benton. He said, I know what I'm about to tell you probably is a little silly, but it's the best way I can communicate about heaven and the longing for heaven. He said, you know, when I was a little boy, I got really sick, like for months sick. And I got so sick, and I was in bed every day, and, uh, you know, Creation groans, we groan, but when you're sick, it's kind of like groaning plus. Have you ever noticed that? And if you're a child and you're sick, it's groaning plus plus. Well, he's, he's in bed. And he was so sick, he said, I forgot my birthday. Day just turned into day. And he said, I woke up one morning and my mom had this excited look on her face. And she came and she got me up. They, we, we cleaned me up and, and they took me out on the back porch. They put me in the porch swing and my dad led from around the house a beautiful, shiny, black pony with a red blanket and a brand new black saddle with this sign dangling from it that said, Happy Birthday, Wilson! Exclamation point. He said, I will will tell you something. There are two things I will never forget. I will never forget the surprise of the goodness of my parents and the, just the love and the joy of a gift like that. And he said, and I will never forget what it was like to, to see that pony, to be able to touch it and not be able to ride it yet. He said, you know what I had to do? I had to go back to bed for weeks. He said, yes, but something changed in me because while I was in that bed... I could almost in my mind reach out and pet that pony. And it was real to me. And I was encouraged and I got well and I, I rode that pony. So, you know, basically what he's saying is, 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 look, you know, we're in this situation where we're groaning, but I want you to know that what God's gift for us, it is so solid, it is as real as that pony led around, but so much better. And as we're groaning, we need to go deep into the love of God in the transformational supernatural now, but we also need to lift our eyes as sons and daughters of God to the horizon and be encouraged by the reality of the glory that awaits I want you to look in our text again at verse 18. So basically, maybe you could put it this way. Here's another sentence. We're growing in grace, groaning in expectation. And those go together. Celebrating Christ, growing in grace, and groaning in expectation of heaven go together. Look at verse 18. I consider that our present sufferings, this is Paul. Our present sufferings are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed in us. Do you know what the word I consider means there? It literally means calculation. I have calculated. Paul's saying, look, I know our groaning is hard. I know that our sufferings, I've done the math. The glory so far outweighs the suffering that if we could just lift our eyes to the reality of that, it would change the way 
We view the suffering. I consider, I have calculated the numerical calculation of what outweighs what. And, and I, I, I will say to you, fellow groaners in the, in, who, who walk with Christ in a fallen world, if you have put your trust in what Christ has done, if you have been given the Spirit, if He is your Abba Father and He's loving you and leading you and sometimes leading you back to Himself, all of that, I will tell you this, that the ugliest thing in this fallen world, the ugliest thing you have ever seen, the most hurtful thing you have ever been through will be redeemed. That's what it's saying. We're not stuck with this. Name it. The ugliest thing. Name it. The most hurtful thing you've ever... It will be redeemed. And those who are in Christ will meet up in heaven and it will be okay. Better than okay. It will be glorious. And unfettered freedom before the face of a loving and gracious God. It's beautiful. And that produces finally something in us called hope. The word hope is used five times in two verses here. You think this is important? Our response to this groaning to glory is called hope. Look at verse 24 of Romans 8. For in this hope, the great hope of the redemption of the sons of God and the creation and everything else, for in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is not hope at all. Makes sense, doesn't it? Who hopes for what he already has? We only hope for what we don't have. Verse 25, but if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. We walk with Christ in this fallen world and we know that he is ours and we are his our Abba Father, tender, loving Father who loves us more than anyone, who accepts us when other people don't, who will lead us for His glory and our good. He is there and He will lead us. And in our culture, the word hope kind of means wishful thinking. It's kind of like what I call that Disney theology. If you wish, maybe it'll happen. It's not what this is about. This horizon is, is not wishful thinking. It's, a, it's, quote, a sure and settled confidence based on what God has said. God Almighty has said, and it is. God has said, and He has demonstrated in the past. God says now, and it is, and what God says about the future, it is. His track record is perfect. His love, His Hesed covenant love is never broken. It's wonderful. I want to give two quotes and then we'll be finished. Quote, to Paul, and we wait patiently, life was not just a weary waiting. So it's not like, okay, we'll get to heaven, you know. To Paul, life was not just a weary waiting. It was a throbbing, vivid expectation a believer does not only live in the world, but he also lives in Christ. He does not see only the world, but he sees beyond it to God. 
He does not see only the consequences of man's sin. He sees the power of God's mercy and love to overcome sin. The keynote of the Christian life is always hope and never despair. The Christian waits not for death, but for life. Amen? And then finally, I want to quote from one of my favorite songs on this topic. It's a song by a great lyricist named Chris Rice. And it taps into this longing, this recognition of the reality of the horizon before us while we patiently wait with Jesus and the longing that is ours. It's called Smile. I just want to be with you, he says to God. I just want to be with you. I just want this waiting to be over. I just want to be with you. And it helps me know the day is getting closer. But every minute takes an hour And every inch feels like a mile till I won't have to imagine and I'll get to see you smile. My journey's here, but my heart is there. So I dream and I wait and I keep the faith while you prepare our destiny till you come back for me. Oh, please, make it soon. I just want to be with you. I want this waiting to be over I just want to be with you and it, and it helps me to know that the day is getting closer but every minute takes an hour and every inch feels like a mile till I won't have to imagine to finally get to see you smile. Be encouraged. We groan in a fallen world but groaning leads to glory. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the now, the supernatural, transformational reality of being your child and you being our Abba Father by grace alone and only through your work that is finished on the cross. Lord, that would have been enough. But you have added a horizon, a trajectory of grace. We, in the midst of our groaning, can lift our eyes. Thank you for the beauty, the worship, and the unfettered freedom in a new creation that awaits. Help us to trust you, depend upon you, and wait patiently as we hope. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.